As we come now to study God's word, let's pause and pray together. Lord, may you be the teacher. May we be the students. May we learn. May we listen. May we obey. And may we show the fruit of the spread of your indwelling presence to be evident in our lives. To the glory of your name we ask, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When a baby wakes up in the middle of the night and is hungry or his nappy is wet, he doesn't lie there and think to himself, I know mummy and daddy are absolutely exhausted. So I'll wait until a more convenient time to let them know that I need something to eat or that my nappy needs change. If only it were so, some of you are thinking. But no, that baby cries impatiently and he continues to cry and cry and cry until he receives the attention he demands. He's not prepared to wait. His needs must be met right now. We do not enter this world possessing patience. And whenever we think about this concept of patience, this is what comes to mind, the ability to wait. Perhaps you've heard the little couplet. Patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, seldom found in woman, never in a man. The ladies nod approvingly. In our study at the fruit of the spirit, Patience introduces us to a, a second group of characteristics that Paul lists for us. The first triplet is love, joy and peace. And the believer experiences these in relationship with God. They are pre precious possessions, the fruit of the Spirit revealed in the nature of our hearts. The second triplet is patience, kindness and goodness. And these are experienced in relationship with God and, and so we then project them to others, the fruit of the Spirit revealed in the works of our hands. And since God is patient towards us, we, in becoming like him, will be patient towards others. Now, when we think again of this idea of patience, it evokes images of stoicism and passivity. And though some of this is, a, is an element contained within the scope of what the Bible reveals, it's far too rich a meaning to, to be limited to this. And, and stoicism, passivity, these are not central elements to patience. We have to understand how patience is displayed in the heart of God. In Numbers 14, 18, Moses prayed on behalf of the Israelites, reminding their covenant-keeping God of his nature. There, Moses said, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. This is echoed in, in Psalm 103, verses 8 to 10. The psalmist writes, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Or again, the apostle Peter has written, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some kind slowness but is patient towards you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Second Peter two or second Peter three, verse nine. In the New Testament, the Greek word for patience is makrothumia, literally long suffering. Now our experience in the world is very different. We sit in a queue of traffic at the lights. And then when they change, if the person at the front of the queue doesn't start with the reaction time of a Formula One driver, people are leaning on the horn to shock him into a swift response. We live in a short-tempered world, but we serve a long-suffering, a patient God. And Christians must not allow the world's way of thinking to dominate our minds. Rather, we must demonstrate how the presence of God in our hearts transforms our attitudes. However, patience is one of the least sought after aspects of God's character, perhaps due to the high cost of developing it. A young Christian went on one occasion to an older believer to ask for help. He said, will you please pray for me that I may become more patient? So they knelt together and the old man began to pray. Lord, send this young man tribulation in the morning. Send this young man tribulation in the afternoon. Send this young man. And at that point, the young Christian blurted out and said, no, no, I didn't ask you to pray for tribulation. I wanted you to pray for patience. Ah responded the wise old Christian. It's only through tribulation that we learn patience. The biblical example of this is Job. He was a practitioner of patience. We use that expression. He or she has the patience of Job. And the story of Job is of one who passed through intense trials. And though he bore these with fortitude and dignity, he did not face them with stoicism, accepting all that he had to endure without question. No, the whole point of the book of Job is that to see how this man earnestly cried out to God and ultimately received an answer. Not the answer that Job wanted, but ultimately the answer he needed. Spirit-empowered patience is not a denial of circumstances. Rather, it is a recognition of all that is happening and declaring that in spite of what we may face, our confidence remains in the greatness and goodness of our God. And being able to say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Patience in the face of great trial is not passive and distant indifference. Rather, it is tenacious trust in God that he will ensure that his perfect justice is enacted. Jonathan read for us the story of two men, the first massively in debt to his king. He approached his creditor, the one who had power of life or death over him. And as he did so, what did he pray? He prayed, verse 26, have patience with me. Have patience with me and I will pay you. The king receives his prayer, but he more than grants its request. 
This vast debt is cancelled. There is a wideness in the mercy of the king's heart. But that's not what the story ends. The forgiven one finds a fellow servant, a man indebted to him to a small amount. And he calls in the debt. No more excuses, no more extensions. He wants his money and he wants it now. Once again, we see exactly the same prayer offered. Have patience with me and I will pay you. The ESV adds the word everything, but that's not there in the Greek. The two prayers in the Greek text are identical because that's the key point. The one who had received mercy must be merciful to his debtor. And yet this man is unwilling to be patient. This man acted that way because he had not truly received the mercy of his king. He went pursuing his fellow servant, not out of greed, but out of pride. It was his intention not to accept the king's gracious offer, not to settle for his terms, but rather to attempt to fulfill his own initial offer. His plan was to pay back everything and he was going to do all in his power to gather the money and give back to the, the king what he owed. Foolish pride was his sin, which blinded him to his responsibilities to be merciful towards others, to be patient with his fellow servant. The Apostle Paul points out this same feeling in, in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 where he writes, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This parable that Jesus tells is meant to be ridiculous. Nobody in their right mind would behave as this man has done. Those who have been forgiven should never be unforgiving. Therefore, harsh, judgmental attitudes expressed by Christians towards others make no sense. We cannot set ourselves up as judges of the hearts of others all the while being uh, oblivious to the glaring faults in our own hearts. And yet, too often this is what we do. But this morning, if your hope rests in Jesus, you must be patient since God has been patient with you. You must forgive for you have been forgiven. We pray as, as Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us by the same measure that we use. Watchman Nee told the story of a Christian farmer who had a rice farm on a high plateau. Every morning he would go down to the lowest level and then have the exhausting task of pumping water up to his rice farm. He had to open certain locks and close others and shut the dam on his property in order to keep the water on his own land. 
Several mornings he went down early and pumped water to his rice field, only to find that when he got up there, his neighbour had opened the dam. The water flowed out of his field into his neighbour's field. And this happened over and over again, and nothing the farmer said could change his neighbour's actions. Finally, this Christian went, chose to pray earnestly for his neighbour and to God that he would grant him wisdom. And the answer to the prayer came. He got up even earlier. The next morning, he worked even harder, pumping water into his neighbor's field and filling it before then beginning to pump water into his own. His neighbor could not believe what was being done. And eventually he began to inquire about the man's faith coming to place his own trust in the Lord. And this is the power of a patient faith. So how do we develop love? How do we develop joy? How do we develop peace? How do we develop patience? The answer to that question is always the same. We must abide in Christ. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Perhaps you're wounded. Someone who has experienced the short-tempered reactions, the unmerciful responses of others. You bear the scars. Perhaps you have caused such wounds, being the short-tempered, the unmerciful. We are the scarred and the scar makers, the wounded and the wounder in one. And we have to understand that the gospel message is not about making bad people good and good people better. It's about taking utterly sinful and unrighteous people and hiding them in the perfect righteousness behind the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We must turn again and again to this forgiveness that we have so freely experienced. Uh, in Christ and, and focus again and again on the long-suffering heart of our God. We must look to the cross, reminded of Jesus' self-giving love, telling us that we can face all and any difficulties that, as, as we contemplate what has been done for us. Let me finish with a, an excerpt from Corrie ten Boom's book, I Am Still Learning to Forgive. She writes, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed outland. And I gave them my favourite mental picture. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence, collected their wraps, in silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the other. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. 
It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the same walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I have been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message for our life. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forget. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed ours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world, to rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one I'd stretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hand. And then his healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. 
for a long moment we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your patience. We thank you that you are long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. For we are deeply in need of such forgiving love. We are sinners with no self-righteous achievement with which we can make our approach to your throne. But you've opened the way, you've gifted to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ through his finished work upon the cross so that we might come to you through him knowing that we will not be turned away. So as we have been forgiven, so may we forgive. As we have been loved by you, so may we love. As you have been patient with us, so may we be patient with others. Lord, produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. To your glory we ask and pray. Amen.